Hey guys, friend of the show, Shady Rays, has an exciting new offer for all you Passing Dimes fans. For the next 30 days, you can get 40% off when you buy two or more pairs of sunglasses. Just click the link in our show notes or on our Instagram bio to shop these awesome deals. Use discount code TEAM to get the offer. Shady Rays, live hard, we got you. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Passing Dimes. Overly excited for today's guest. I thought I knew about his career, and I was excited when he committed, but after doing some research for the show, wow, we've got a good get, a good get for the show this week. So this guy's played in five straight Canada West finals, four straight national finals. Let's be honest, it would have been five. He's the 2020 Scholar Athlete of the Year. He's a five-time academic All-Canadian. He was named the Complete Champion Award at Trinity Western. He grew up playing for the Calgary Canuck Dinos, who won a provincial and national championship. He's been on our youth, junior, and B national teams, and he recently signed a pro deal to go over to Germany next year. Please welcome to the show, Pierce Inshenko. Thanks for doing this, man. Hey, thanks, Josh. Thanks for reaching out. Just for the record, did I pronounce your last name right? Yeah, Pierce Inshenko. You got it. Beauty. I'm sure that's been butchered on a lot of uh, live streams over the years. Yeah, no, it definitely has. <laughs> so quite the resume you've built over your post-secondary career, but one thing that stood out to me is Banff and Calgary aren't that close. So were your parents really committed to getting you involved in sport, or what kind of led to you making the big commute to play club volleyball? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, like, first off, I'm, I'm super blessed that uh, my family was able to, you know, like drop a couple things and be able to allow me to travel into Calgary just to, to play the sport I love. Yeah, it's about an hour and a half, hour, 15 minute drive. And I was doing that a couple times a week. So yeah, it was a big commitment for my family. But uh, yeah, I'm very grateful for that opportunity. So, And anyone who's been lucky enough to been to Banff, like beautiful outdoor space. I mean, when the Edmonton three-star was happening for beach volleyball, a lot of international teams made a point that they were going to go to Banff afterwards. Were you pretty outdoorsy? Like, was your family always out and about? Or what was it like growing up in such a beautiful area? Yeah, no, we're not uh, we're not the typical Banff family, to be honest. Like my family isn't uh, we're not really into skiing or or anything like that. So like that seems to be like a big pull for a lot of families here. But yeah, like growing up, big hike, big hiking family. Love to. My mom's a big cross country skier, so I'll get out and do that with her every once in a while. Uh, mountain biking, things like that. Yeah, no, it's a very it's a small town vibe. The uh, yeah, there's not a lot of. A lot of, um, you know, if you're, not a, if you're not a skier or a hockey player, there's not usually a lot of sports going on other than what's offered in school. So it's kind of odd that I chose volleyball at the end of the day, but I think uh, I'm pretty happy with my decision. So Nice, nice. And what got you hooked? Was there a school teacher or did your parents or siblings play? Like for you to want to commit like an hour 15 both ways to play volleyball competitively, what made you kind of fall in love with it first that that was going to be your sport? It's <laughs> a good question. To be honest, I don't really know. Like, I mean, I, I played a little bit, you know, throughout like middle school and stuff just with the, the school system here in Banff. But I mean, Banff is definitely not known for a, for a volleyball program or anything like that. I think um, when I was in uh, grade nine, I started doing like this little rec program out of the Volley Dome. And then I just loved playing the sport. So that was sweet. Got a little opportunity to do that. Like it was only like once a week thing. And then from there, I actually... I guess like coach on Canuck came up to me and said like, have you ever thought about playing club? And I mean, the rest is kind of history just kind of, kind of grew from there. Awesome. And yeah, friends of the show will know that we've, we've well publicized what Calgary's got going with kind of the second generation push that's happening right now and all the former national team players there. So what was your club career growing up? Like, 
with you being from Banff and just kind of loving volleyball and wanting to play it, were you ever starstruck or kind of connected to the dots about like who's around you? Like, did you ever get to meet Don Saxton or even Ben Saxton or all these like great national team athletes that are around the Calgary area? Yeah, for sure. Well, like kind of like I said, I had a pretty late start into the club scene. I didn't start playing club volleyball until like U16, grade 10. And then uh, I've had like obviously traveling into Calgary a lot. Um, unfortunately, I didn't spend a lot of time in Calgary in grade 10 and 11 other than, you know, other than the time I was there for volleyball. So I might have missed out a little bit on that. It was pretty cool, though, because, I mean, I think Brett Walsh had just graduated from, not graduated, but, you know, come out of the Canuck system. Uh, Riley Barnes was an ex-Canuck guy. So got to see kind of like and follow those names as I, as I grew up throughout Calgary and the volleyball community. Yeah, I, uh, I got really, really lucky with my coaching throughout, like, throughout my years. So in grade 10, U16, I had uh, Ray Sewell and Ian Halliday coaching me. And, you know, for your first year of club, those are two solid coaches. And then into grade 11, I actually, when I joined Canuck McDonald's and played a year up, I had uh, Kerry McDonald and, and uh, CJ and Travis Banks kicking around. So, yeah, I was very blessed with, like, the coaches I had and the uh, community that was around me just to kind of like grow my interest and grow my level of play for the sport so awesome so with you being a little bit late into the the club volleyball scene what went into your recruiting process because in reading the press release benjo was over the moon to get you but it sounds like in your own mind you might have been a little bit of a late bloomer so at what point did you know you wanted to play post-secondary and then who else were you considering when you decided that trinity was going to be the spot for you yeah yeah good also a good question yeah, so like I would say in grade ten, I was really like flying under the radar. I was like my first year of club, and that was all that was all fine and good. I was just getting better at the at the sport and just loving it every day. And then in grade eleven, when I played up a year onto that Canuck Dino squad, and you know we had quite a bit of success at the end of that club season, that's kind of when my name started to like rattle around a little bit. And I feel like kind of being around that environment where all of my teammates were in grade 12 and were committing to schools and talking about post-secondary. I'd say like once I kind of like started into that club season in my grade 11 year, like that's kind of when I was like, Oh, like this is, this is real. Like maybe I could, maybe I can go and uh, make a career at a university out of this. So that was pretty sweet. My recruiting story is actually pretty funny and, and Benjo references this quite a bit, but uh, I always wanted to go to U of A. Terry, Terry Danilek is actually, like a really good family friend. Uh, my dad was his best man at his wedding. And uh, yeah, he was always kind of around when I was growing up. Um, and then, so that was always kind of like what my, my head was set on. And then in grade 11, the North Sika Championships was held out in Langley at the Langley Event Center. And uh, it was actually a birthday present. My parents brought me out there in uh, late October or whenever it happened. Yeah, I just got like, kind of got to watch the national team for the first time. And see what was going on there and then at that time I had a neighbor who was going to Trinity so I just had a campus tour with her and she said oh you should try to meet the, the volleyball coach here at, uh, at Trinity <laughs> you know I was just like yeah sure like maybe I can like reach out so she set that up through like the admissions or whatever and then at the North Seagull tournament it was the first time I actually talked to Benjo and before that to be honest I had never really like considered or thought about Trinity but that's kind of what set my mind onto it that yeah, throughout the rest of the year, he was in contact with me, and I committed. Ended up committing pretty early in my grade twelve year. So, 
Terry Danilek is a legend in our sport, and I, I don't want to slight him in the least, but you, you got to give us the inside story with your dad being the best man at the wedding. That had to be a gimme in recruiting. So how did you break the news either to your family or did you ever talk to U of A and say, you know what, I'm going to Trinity? And, and kind of what was their response of being across the net from you for, for all five years of your uh, U Sports career? Yeah, no, no slight on U of A at all, like on Terry or that program. It's an incredible program. They've been our rivals forever, and that rival was way before trinity like even before i was at trinity honestly like i mean it, it's hard to say i think i'd like to say i mean terry's also a very respectable guy it's not like he's gonna pout or anything <laughs> so <laughs> he um yeah no we've we've been able to kind of like balance that that uh kind of a dynamic relationship between he's still like a good friend of mine and uh i was across the net from him so thankfully thankfully there's no i don't think there's a lot of hard feelings yeah, no, I I know Ben loves referencing that, but uh, yeah, <laughs> it's it's, uh, it's a it's a touchy subject for sure. But I think Terry and I are good, and I think you and I are good. So nice, nice. So with you being successful at the provincial and national team level and club, did you have any expectations or goals you set entering CIS or U Sports or whatever the name was at that time? But as a first year going to the Trinity, did you? picture yourself as a starter did you just want to be in the training environment and get better like what were your first impressions in your first season with the club mm -hmm. yeah another good question yeah no committing to trinity it was actually really i think that's that was also part of the reason why it was a little bit more appealing to me is uh because just with the way their cycle was lining up there was a lot of middle positioning positions open i guess that like that uh that was becoming a lot more uh, prevalent. So Brandon Schmidt and Danny Grant were, uh, were graduating from Trinity. They were both in their fifth year, the year I came in. Meanwhile, uh, U of A had uh, Taylor Arnett, John Gornson, George Hoburn, and Aaron Chambers all ahead of me. And those are, you know, some solid players, especially coming out of club. Like, those are some of the idols growing up. So, I, um, yeah, I think that was also part of the part of the reason I decided to go to Trinity was like, I think I could get on the court a little bit sooner, even though it was still a solid program. And to be honest, that was kind of my goal going into my first year is I would have, I really wanted to be on the court by the end of the year. And I really gunned for that. So that was kind of all the, always the intention when I, when I committed inside. So people who have followed your career closely would, would remember that you had a little bit of an injury scare in first year. So how did you keep, like a positive mindset when you're kind of on the sideline as a first year where I, I think Trinity, I've, I've never been to a practice, but the reputation is that they have one of the best training environments in the gym. Like there's guys who are sitting who could be starting on any team in the country, right? So with you being permanently sidelined with an injury, did that affect you mentally or because like the level's so high that you were just kind of still learning even though you weren't involved getting the touches? No, for sure. And like that, so the injury is kind of, I mean, nothing's nagged at me for my entire career. It started in my first year, but yeah, no, it's definitely it's definitely been prevalent throughout my entire career at Trinity. But um, yeah, in my first year when it first happened, obviously really tough, pretty devastating to have to like sit out for that playoffs, and and that was the year where we kind of came as like an underdog team and and ended up making it to the finals and McMaster and actually winning the whole thing. So it was tough to watch that all, but like at the end of the day, I think I got to be a part of that that environment and just kind of like seeing what it actually took to win and all the adversity the team had to kind of like battle throughout the year. And I think that was still incredibly beneficial for the rest of my career as I, you know, as I was actually able to play and not sidelined by that injury. And then I think it'll be incredibly beneficial as I move on to the next level here as well. Awesome. Yeah. We'll get to the on-court stuff in a second, but what I was really impressed with in researching for the show is just how 
how great you are on the academic side and then learning what you do with the community service and you were part of the leadership team and a captain at Trinity. So how do you think you developed off the court? Like what made you obviously first a great student managing the, the schedule that Trinity does? Because even preseason, like you guys travel the country, you do a lot of cool things. This year you went to the Can-Am. So keeping your studies up when you're kind of out of conference play, but also what made you want to be like a leader on the team and take that big dive into kind of volunteering to be the community service lead with the team as well? I don't know. I think um, just on the academic side of things, I've always been a bit of a bit of an achiever. I don't know why. I just that's just kind of like the way I'm I'm wired and the way I kind of like go and attack life. Um, so academics was definitely like, you know, volleyball ends eventually, and I knew that. <laughs> so I wanted to set myself up the, you know, in the best way possible for the future. So that's definitely what kept that up for me. Um, in terms of like the leadership and the community side, that really I think that really came out in this last this last year of mine. So you mentioned it in the intro, but Trinity does have that award, the Complete Champion Award, and it's um, it's just it's for, it's reserved for athletes who are trying to commit themselves to Trinity's five pillars, which are uh, academics, athletics, community, faith initiatives, and then uh, like leadership as well. So yeah, that that was kind of my goal at the start of the season, and uh, to like receive that reward, and I think. Um, by setting that as my goal, I knew even if I wasn't going to reach it, it was gonna, it was kind of gonna push me to be like the person I really wanted to be and, and develop some of those attributes and character traits that I want to take into the rest of my life. So that was kind of the goal at the beginning, and um, yeah, I have no regrets. Like kind of going for that and taking that lead role, and yeah, and just being able to kind of step out with the team this year. So, so what can you share with us about those skills you acquired? Because I think you know leadership. It. I think it is a learned skill and I think you can work at it, but obviously your time management must be just off the charts and, and being involved in the community like that, it can't really feel like work for you to be doing as much as you do. Right. So how have you kind of focused to grow those goals or how have either like your teammates or some of the alumni or even the coaching staff at Trinity kind of guided you and pushed you through all this stuff you've accomplished off the court? I think part of the reason people always ask like what can make, what makes kind of Trinity maybe a little bit different or what's maybe like a secret recipe and I think it's a lot to do with like the people that been been recruits and the people that have gone before me. So I think like even entering into my first year, I had incredible incredible role models like Ryan Slater, uh, Tyler Kozlowski, Scott Plock, just guys like that who, you know, really set it set the set the bar pretty high right off the gate. And uh, just kind of like growing throughout my career and always having like that next guy and kind of in the the older section of the team. Uh, just kind of mentoring and, and, and showing um, by example and uh, yeah, just kind of like modeling those leadership character characteristics. I think that's really, yeah, like that's, that's really where it came from. I think just being kind of immersed in that culture for so long. I, it's not like I, I don't think I was doing anything like specifically to try to, to try to grow my leadership skills. I don't know. I, I can't really, can't really think of that. I think I was just always, I always just had great mentors and great people around me to like model it and then, I mean, when it was my turn, then I was able to kind of know what to do from there. Nice. And is something, I guess, culture talked about at Trinity where there's sit-down meetings and you're going to do team building and stuff? Or is there just kind of this organic thing that comes together with the club? Like, I'm thinking the amount you guys travel, like, to come to Can-Am, but then to stay after and play McMaster, the, the amount of hours the men's volleyball team must spend together, is there just kind of a natural brotherhood because of that? Or is it something that's actually focused on where there's a leadership group or Benjo and the other coaches are kind of guiding it through? Like, it, it might happen in a lot of variety of ways, but how have they kind of achieved that culture that's not only happened for your career, but a few cycles before as well? 
Mm-hmm, for sure. But yeah, like like I said, I think that's kind of what like makes Trinity special. And for sure, for sure, Ben and some of the coaches are are definitely adding some input into uh, into that culture. But I think at the end of the day, Ben just kind of has a leadership group every year. It's usually made up of the, the fifth years, and you know, it's just kind of like sit down and like, all right, like what what do you want this year to look like? How do you want the team to be? And so it it adds a little bit of variety to each year. But I think the core just the core values kind of like remain the same throughout the year for Trinity and something that, so <laughs> the way, the best way for me to kind of describe it is, uh, it was actually, actually I got to steal this from Carter Bergen, one of our alumni, the old barrel for us. He always said like, Oh, we're teammates by chance, but we're best friends by choice. And, um, yeah, that's kind of just like the mentality we bring into, into the team. Like everyone, there's no, you know, there's no hierarchy. There's no, uh, there's no clicks. There's no groups. It's just kind of like we're all brothers. We're all family. And, um, yeah, it's, it's a lot. It's really easy when, you know, when great guys are always around you to kind of have that mentality. And I think it, yeah, it really brings out the best in us on and off the court. So, One thing that I thought was cool about the Can-Am is one game ended early in the following match. Obviously, they were going to hold the start time because, of you know, it was advertising just to get people there. So you guys were doing servant pass on the second court and, and a big chunk of us from the audience went over and just kind of peeked over on the other side of uh, T-Pass there. And I thought what was cool about Trinity was you guys started off, you cut the court in half and there was two mini games of two on two going on. And like, it seemed like everybody and their brother was playing like Nick Del Bianco was in there, Adam Schreimer and the guys are chirping. So coaches are playing, players are playing, but then it almost like the switch hit and you guys started doing like serve and pass. Obviously it was, it was before you guys were going to play that evening, but it, it turned really serious. So I'm wondering how do you guys manage that where, okay, it's, we're going to get activated to practice. And like, like I said, assistant coaches are playing, coaches are playing. Like I, I'm sure even if the trainer could pepper, they would probably be peppering where it's this loose, fun environment, but then kind of somebody nods or the, the switch hits and it turns into this serious high performance environment. How do you guys manage that where it doesn't get too goofy and silly where you guys are still, you know, have goals of being the best team in the country and you're, you're there to perform? Yeah, no, for sure. We always say like our team, our team seems to function best, like just, I mean, if you're going to look at, like, the spectrum between, like, uber serious on one hand and, like, driven and just, like, hardworking and rah-rah, and uh, on the other hand, you know, like, laid back, goofy, silly, I think we we do best right in the middle and then a little bit leaning towards, like, the goofy, fun kind of side. So, I mean, it's easy to have fun when you're with your best friends, and I think we know that. So, like, during the warm-up phases and stuff, you know, we're – we're doing what we need to do for our bodies and for our minds, but at the same time, like we're having fun. We're, uh, we're doing our best to enjoy this game that we have kind of like dedicated so much time to. But then I think once like the seriousness kind of hits a lot of the, I mean, a lot of the team has a very similar mindset. A lot of guys have, you know, had national team experience or do want to be like high achievers and, and do really well in this sport. So we also recognize that. And I think that can kind of come out and we get very competitive and, um, yeah, like we know what our goals are and we know that always having that silly, goofy, laid back attitude isn't always going to be um, the best option. So we, uh, yeah, we find a we find a good balance. But like I said, I think I think we definitely lean on the side of goofy a little bit more than um, than serious. But it's just kind of like what works for us and what works for the culture guys that we seem to have. So Nice, nice. And we were lucky enough to get uh, Daniel Jensen Van Doren on the show and he talked about how Ben – kind of deliberately put him and Van Burkel across the net from each other with the theory that like iron sharpens iron, excuse me, and that they were going to battle and they were going to do things. So did you ever find yourself in situations where you and Jackson are just going at it in practice, or maybe you're across the net from the really good wing hitters and that's going to challenge you to close. Like 
How has practice kind of helped you develop when, when things do get serious and super competitive? Do, do you ever notice Ben being very deliberate with what he wants out of you? No, for sure. Like, and don't get me wrong, like explaining your, or kind of answering your last question. Like, I'm not saying like we're unfocused in practice. Like we're definitely, we're all very competitive. We all like kind of know what our goals are, but yeah, like the, the training environment is, is pretty incredible. I think I've had, I've had a lot of sweet opportunity to play with a lot of really solid players. Like just looking at the middle, like I had Aaron Betcher in my first year, him and I would always go at it in practice. And then hopping into my third year, Jackson came in, you know, this high flying rookie that just gave everyone uh, a headache when he was attacking. And then even in my fifth year, like we had a transfer, Jordan Schnitzer came in and at the end of the year, he was really, really pushing me to like, you know, stay on my best game. And I think that, yeah, that's also another like big thing with Trinity is like our, our practices can be so competitive and um, so just like a very high level for like a, a university for a university team. And that really kind of, it just makes it seem kind of simple when, uh, when those bigger games do come and we are facing like some, some rivals or a team that's very strong that particular year. So yeah, I'm very lucky that way. And, and how do you personally like to approach practices? Like, are you a guy who wants to talk through the net and really push the tempo? Are you focusing and want like instant feedback from coaches? Like, how do you kind of get through these moments? Because I mean, you don't have to admit it. I'll say it for you. I'm going to say that there was probably practices this year that may have been more competitive than some of the games you guys played because there's, there's national team guys on the bench at Trinity right now, which is just amazing to see. So when things get intense, like how do you like to navigate through those moments so you can still know that you're, you're getting better and that you guys can still be, you know, brothers at the end of the day? Yeah, another good question. So I, I, I like to, I'm not a big guy to talk to the nut, to be honest, <laughs> during, uh, during practice or games. That's just not really my thing. I think during practice, I'm a little bit more focused on like process. Ben's very, I mean, I don't really like this, this, this term, but he's very growth mindset. You know what I mean? Like he's always like looking to change things and, and work through new things or try something new. So I think practice for me, it's a little bit more, you know, focused on the process, but that's just kind of how I, how I go about it. I think, um, once like once game time's hit, we always talk about like, yo, you just need to have like a brawl mentality. You need to have like a, I guess just like a competitive urgency to go out there and like, go make plays, you know, go get digs, go get kills, like go make a block. Like it's a little bit, we really switch our mindset from this kind of growth mindset process, process kind of vibes to like, we just need to go and like perform and, you know, build into your teammates, make each other better. And uh, yeah, just go after it, go get it because that's, that's really what games kind of come down to. So and fans would know that you're you're leading U Sports in blocks per set, so obviously that's a very good skill of yours. And everybody we've had on who's had a chance to work with Benjo, whether it was at the university level or with the women's national team, will say he's a great blocking coach. But also learning that you play for club coaches like Ian and Ray and Carrie McDonald, who have national team experience as well. What helped you develop as a blocker? Like, what maybe if you could share like your footwork, your eye work, or, or what has made you you know so dominant of when you know where to press, how to press, like. It's a very complicated skill where me you could do you could do everything right and still not get the result right. So when you're talking about a complex skill like that, how have you developed over you know through club and university? Is it just something you really enjoy the idea of just getting a slam on somebody and that's going to help your team and, and it kind of has a big impact on the match? Yeah, no, Ben Ben is a sweet uh, sweet middle blocker he, or a sweet sorry excuse me <laughs> a sweet uh, middle blocking coach and um, he's definitely taught me a lot of very key aspects to the skill throughout my years. I found I found blocking was one of the skills, even though obviously 
my position has the word blocking in it. I found it was one of the skills that didn't really click until kind of like my third year, third, fourth year. Uh, so it was a long time coming. But if I'm really to break it down, I'd say like the biggest, like first off, like Trinity's blocking system is very, it's very team uh, orientated. Like it's, it's all, all three, like three guys at the net and then the three guys in the back, like really working together to slow down the opponent. There's no, you know, individual, like you go get the block kind of thing. So I kind of grew up in that throughout my five years there. But I'd say like, if you really break down the skill, Ben talks about something called like a split step and the split step is incredibly useful just to, for re-blocking. I don't think it's any, it's also no secret that Trinity is a big re-blocking team and that's kind of like just the way we prefer to play. So yeah, the split step has been, was incredibly useful to kind of, to kind of, I guess, add to my game in my first two years. And then, like, later on, later on in my career in fourth and fifth year, it really became about cutting off angles. So once you're actually up in the air, you have closed the block and you're, you know, like you're kind of, you're, you're set for the attacker, really pressing into the court and uh, cutting off the ball before you can even, like, cross over the plane of the net has also been really big. So a lot more hand positioning later on. I'd say footwork earlier on. So, yeah, that's kind of, like, how my blocking, blocking skill kind of progressed throughout my five years at Trinity. And how often does this get talked about in practice? Like, are you guys, I, I think Trinity has earned the reputation of being a good blocking team. And it goes back to guys you already mentioned, like Danny Grant was a great blocker. And with Rudy Verhoof and all these other guys coming from the program, it's it's definitely been happening for cycles. Is this something that you guys do every day? Is it something you do video on? Like, how how frequent are these things happening where you guys can just rep it out and be so ready when game day comes? Yeah, I think I think our, our program takes a lot of pride in um, – yeah, just our, our block defense system. It's it's worked on almost every single day, I would say. And like I said, we really it's very team based. Like there's very few times when there's any enormous stress on one guy to make a blocking play. Like uh, we always have the philosophy: you're going to block the primary shot and defend the secondary. And ideally, we're going to have four hands on every ball. So you know, middles aren't really allowed to commit. And um, yeah, we're reading the setter and just kind of like trusting our footwork and trying to get slow downs and uh, make it really hard for the other team to score. So. so Pierce, we've had guys like Jacob on the team who are obviously like a good wing blocker and they talk about the read system and their eye work, but I imagine in the middle where things are just going a mile a minute and just everything's happening so fast. Can you kind of describe, like I, I think read blocking might be just too simple to describe what are all the things you're kind of grasping and how the Trinity system works. So do you mind just taking a deeper dive into kind of what you're responsible for and maybe how the back row guys adjust behind you if you do need to leave a seam or know that you're going to press this way or that way? Like what are all the, the small details that really make the Trinity blocking system so special? Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, Trinity takes a lot of pride kicking around. Um, you know, the block defense, that's something that's heavily talked about in our practice and is definitely a big part of our game and is a big pillar to our success, I think. Block defense system is very is very team-based, so there's very few times when there's an enormous stress on, like, one guy to, like, make a block. You know, like, some teams might be like, okay, everybody just man up and, and, and uh, you know, let's, let's, let's stop our guy. But, uh, yeah, no, it's very team-based, um, and ideally – we have four hands on every every ball that uh, is coming across the net. Um, I don't think it's a secret. Like everybody kind of knows we like to read block, um, but it kind of goes off the system that like middles aren't really allowed to commit. And if it's funny, so I've I've had quite a few success with like blocking numbers in the past year or two. But if you actually look at the stats, I have very very few solo blocks. <laughs> if I can just get a touch on the middle and 
and convert it and we can convert it like as a team then that's like a very very big positive uh the goal is to try to kind of make the middles beat us the philosophy is that trinity is also no secret that we like to serve really hard and uh, we don't want to like have this mentality that the serve is going to kind of eliminate the middle because the passes could be off the net too often anyway and then also like the middle is very high efficiency attacking position so even if you commit like there's still a decent chance that if you know that that middle is going to be able to score on you even if you commit so the whole goal is to try to kind of read everything throw hands late at the middle and um yeah just make sure that we can really lock down on some of their high volume outsides that they're having to deal with four hands at all times not really getting anything for free so and how the game's kind of evolving with how fast the back row is happening even at the club level now i think it's trickled down that far where it used to be like brazil and i think 2004 really announced their presence with authority where you guys have adopted that and like i said it's trickled down into the club and high school world how are you managing that combination with either like a shoulder bit coming through or the middle runs a three and they're running through the back like the one six seam how do you kind of like to keep responsible for the pipe hitter coming through because again things are happening so fast you have all these decisions to make is it as simple as late hands or are you trying to funnel like what goes into taking away that shot yeah, no, the pipe definitely adds a whole new beast if a team's really good at running that and they have a solid attacking middle. Yeah, the, I mean, for us, the, uh, like I said, we don't really, we don't really like to commit. So the goal is to kind of either be like laid on the middle or kind of um, be able to stay down and throw hands at the pipe. For in regards to like what our backcourt is doing, like I'll throw hands and probably like take whatever side I think is the player's tendency. And then our, our, our defenders in position uh, one and five are going to compress seams and kind of leave the sideline shot. And just hope that like, you know, that's a really tough, t- tough ball to hit from the pipe is like to, to crack it back to the sideline and paint the line. So yeah, we just kind of compress the seams all dive one way and then six will hopefully move in whatever direction I'm not diving. And then, you know, <laughs> hopefully we can convert that and at least get a swing on it going back. So. Now, you kind of hinted that, you know, I agree with you. I think growth mindset's been a bit over-publicized, I think, in our community right now in sports. And I think process is overdriven. So with you, you know, coming through the club system, winning at the provincial and national team level, and it's well advertised that you've played in five straight Canada West finals and four straight national finals. How do you personally like to approach goal setting? Are you a big process guy that you're like, oh, it's Tuesday of practice. If I take care of it, you know, we're going to win nationals because that's how much I'm focused. Or do you like to ramp it up at certain times? Like, how have you personally approached where I'm sure you appreciate going to the finals every year, but did it ever just become an expectation or a standard that you're like, yeah, we're going to play in the national final because we're just that good and we work that hard? Well, I don't think like, you can't really take anything for granted in, in Ken West. I mean, the league is, or like the, uh, the conference, excuse me, is, is very strong every year. And there's always multiple teams that probably should be at the national national tournament that don't make it. So I think every year, like, we kind of have our goals and our, our vision as a team. And we're definitely, like, kind of evaluating, all right, like, this is where we want to be. And, like, how are we going to get there? So, like, yeah, no, it definitely, it definitely has a place at Trinity. Benjo talks about this one. It's probably my favorite analogy that he uses. It's, uh, it's chatting about a, um, famous singer i'm pretty sure i'm pretty sure he was he always uses uh bon jovi as his example but anyway like there's always there's a story that he always tells where it goes kind of like an interviewer was talking to bon jovi and was saying like man how do you do it like how do you go out there and and just have these killer performances and put on a great show for the fans every single night like day in day out like so on and uh 
Bon Jovi goes and he goes, well, like on one hand, it's the most important thing in the world. Like this is my life. This is what I dedicate all my time to. This is what, um, this is what kind of like defines me. And then on the other hand, it's just rock and roll. And that's how Ben kind of likes to use, like that's kind of how I think he approaches each season. Like, you know, this is our everything. This is, you've got to put so much time into this. You work so hard. Like we have this goal. We have this target on our back every single year. You know, people always want to beat Trinity. But at the end of the day, it's just you're playing this game you love with the people you love. And it's a lot of fun. So for sure it's present. But like I said, I think we also do a pretty good job at keeping the mood light and just making sure we're focusing on each other and having a lot of fun while doing it. So, For sure. And I think one thing that the, the last dance has showed me is Michael Jordan wanted to win championships, but I thought it was cool that he would ramp it up about certain guys or if he's playing against a certain coach, like he would really want to ramp it up and show an impression. So have you ever found yourself as an athlete getting through a long season knowing that, uh, again, just to use a Can-Am example because I got to watch all your matches there, when you're going to be across the net from Danon, who you don't get to see, but he's a national team guy, or Mitchum at Lewis, who was a top middle, like did those moments ever kind of spark you a little bit where, again, it's a super long season, but you could find these little mini battles in between that give you something to really fire up for that day? Oh, absolutely. Um, I'd say throughout the season, you always kind of circle like a couple games on your calendar. And like, those are the games that you look forward to, you know? And, uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, I think, I think, um, I think when you know as a player and as a team that the opponent on the other side of the net is going to really come after you and give you a hard time and is going to push you, like, it just kind of pushes you to do better. So, yeah, having those weekends dispersed is obviously sweet. And then uh, playoffs is just awesome. Like, postseason is so much fun. Like, that's really when you get to kind of, like, see the fruits of your labor and just go out there and compete and really bring it. So, I think even though the season's really long and the preseason can be really long and hard as well. Um, just the focus on the end of the year and like how much fun that is and how intense that is. And that's really why we play. Like, I think that, yeah, just like looking forward to that is uh, a big driver for sure throughout the season. And obviously Trinity kind of has a target on their back where, like we said, there's a lot of things that make it special and your home games are obviously special with the crowd you get. But I imagine going into some other people's buildings, it can be a little bit hostile where maybe you're not the favorite at other campuses. So for you personally, like you mentioned, you're not a big talker through the net or you don't need to really be chirping people to get fired up. How do you like to manage the crowd? Like when you're at home, does that give you a little boost and you like to maybe acknowledge a little bit? Or maybe if you're in somebody else's barn and it gets a little hostile, do you acknowledge it? Do you hear it? Do you let it go? Like, what are some strategies you can give some of our younger listeners when, you know, you're playing at the highest level and you're being targeted? How do you navigate, like, the extra emotion that comes from a, some external things like a big crowd? Yeah, no, I'd say at home, we're we're very, very lucky. I think a lot of teams know throughout the conference that, like, Trinity has, like, a pretty crazy fan base and we get a lot of people out to support us and be nuts. And, like, when we're at home, it's definitely nice to, like, feed off the crowd and, and have that extra energy as we as we go through the game yeah and like i think they like the crowd's gonna appreciate too if you're able to like acknowledge them every once in a while and, and uh yeah give them a little bit get a little bit more to clap and cheer about in terms of in terms of being someone else's barn i really like to i really like just to bring it back to the team i think when i think when the crowd or the the stadium is super super loud most of those most of that noise is probably cheering against you. It's usually best to like really try to up your communication on the court and then really bring it together as a team. And like, we even say like, you go, you know, guys like hold the huddle a little bit longer 
say an extra sentence that could be useful, like really share with each other what's going on. Cause it's just easy to get drowned out, you know, when you're in that environment and it's hostile, it's loud, it's crazy. So, um, yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of like how I've always, and I think how most of the team has kind of been dealing with when we're in someone else's barn and it's packed out and it's a crazy game. Like we really just bring it back to the team, bring it back to the guys on the court, make sure our communication is up and make sure we're doing our job and just really building into each other to make each other better. So, yeah, can you give us a little behind the scenes? So I think the volleyball huddle, it, it gets over-dramatized a little bit where it just happens so often. And I think maybe to an outsider, it might look like it's just, I don't know, a little bit too much rah-rah or a little bit fluffy. But how much information are you guys sharing? Like when you say, say an extra sentence, what is being said in a huddle that includes like top players like you and Lepke and all these other guys and Elsa and App? Like who who kind of has the speaking role and what kind of value are you taking from it after every point? No, to an onlooker, for sure, it can get overlooked. Uh, the volleyball huddle like, can just be seen, be seen as like a thing that you're just going to do after each point. But um, And like in regards to who kind of speaks, it really it really differs, to be honest. Like Each point's going to be a little bit different. Maybe someone missed a cue or someone uh, false stepped or something like that. So like whoever, I don't know, whoever kind of feels the need to like speak or say something will, especially in this past year where like you named all the guys that were we're on the court like those are a lot of big names and everybody knows this game at a very high level that was on the court with us so uh, we have a thing at Trinity where it's we like to it's called evaluate formulate execute um so like in that huddle that's kind of like the process that we're going to go through so we're going to evaluate kind of like what happened and again this isn't going to take this isn't going to take a long time you only have so many seconds in between rallies but you know evaluate what happened you know like maybe i was i didn't i i put my hands in the wrong spot i dropped cross when i should have like reached seam all right, so I evaluated that, formulate, okay, next time I won't do that. I'm going to try to fill the seam. I'm going to try to reach the seam. Let's have position five, like slide over a little bit, cover that cross, cross-court ball. And then, you know, execute, just get out there and go do the next point. So that's kind of how we approach that huddle. And just to circle back to practice now that I think about it, with Epp and Elser being the setters, like those are two as good as it gets in the Volleyball Canada program right now. Is there anything as a middle you can do to disrupt good setters? Because we've had Epp on the show, and I'd love to get uh, Matias Elser on the show as well. Their, their vision is so top tier, and their tactics are so top tier. As the opposing middle, what can you do to kind of mess up uh, their rhythm or what they're seeing or any little tricks that the middles can counter because every setter we've had on the show it's just amazing to see their tactical knowledge where I'm wondering what can you do to counter it when you're on the other side of the net from it it's tough and to be honest like I haven't like I, I've kind of I've mentioned it a few times now but Trinity's like blocking system is very based over a read so it's usually not like regardless of what Epp's going to be doing, like usually most of the time I'm going to be trying to like read block, you know, like I'm, I'm just going to be trying to see where he's going to put the ball, make my reaction and try to take as much space as I can. Like that's just kind of like how I've, I've grown up at my career at Trinity. Um, there is a couple like little things you can do every once in a while. Like obviously with a read, you're not supposed to commit, but you know, every once in a while, you know, it's a good situation and that maybe really wants to find Jackson on the other side of the net in a certain rotation when we're playing a game, like for sure, maybe I can commit block, make him think about setting the middle again, or, um, you know, just take an option essentially. Maybe I'll like release to left when I know Eric's over there and they're in a tough, in, the, in a tough spot, you know, and that just seems like a really good option. So, I mean, you take a little bit of a risk, but I think, but by, by just, yeah, doing something that's out of the ordinary will sometimes like, you know, make setters at least think about or hesitate with what they're what they're running and what they're doing. So, 
Nice, nice. And when you say look for those situations where either the tendencies they're going to run the middle or does, does there ever become a certain point in pass quality where you know you're going pins? Like obviously if the setter is, I don't know, by the baseline, you know you're going to wings. But at your level on the Canada West and playing at eSports Finals, is there a little trick you could give to some of our middles or, or coaches listening where you just know the ball has to go to the pins? I think like each setter kind of has different tells. So I think that kind of goes back to a lot of like game prep and like what you're what you're doing before the match to try to find those tells. Yeah, as soon as the pass is made, like the first thing I'm going to evaluate is the middle, is the ball, is the ball uh, on, over, or off? Like, is it on the net? Is it going to come over the net or is it off the net? And then what, like how I approach that situation is going to be different depending on what, uh, what type of pass quality I get. So if it's on the net, like maybe I'll keep my hands just a tad higher. I'll be on the center a little bit longer, kind of waiting for him to make his read. If it's off the net, you know, I can kind of drop the hands. I can relax a little bit more and really just focus on, like, getting out to the wings. The toughest is when you're, you're you know, you're, you're starting to, to read whether the ball is coming just over the net or whether the setter is going to cut it off. I think that's, like, when I feel the most stress as a middle. But, yeah, like, it's usually about trying to get on the setter as quick as you can. And, you know, maybe they have, like, a wrist flick or maybe, they're, maybe their legs, like, aren't even when they're setting right side or, like, whatever. Like, there's always, like, some little tell you can have. But pretty much, yeah, like, it, it really depends on each setter. And um, obviously the toughest situation is going to be when the ball's on the net. But, yeah, you, you just got to kind of do what you got to do. And that usually comes down to prep. So Awesome, awesome. Yeah, thank you for, for going into all the details you have here. So, just switching gears into some Team Canada stuff, did you realize when you first made that youth national team like how special it was? I was looking up the names and obviously Epp from your team and Elser and then looking at some other guys like Danon was on that team, Jordan Pereira, Shawan, like guys who would go on to represent Canada at a, at a further stage. Did you realize when you made that team, you know, coming out of provincial team programming to make the youth national team that that was going to be like the guys you would be shoulder to shoulder with on the national team in a few years? Yeah, no, I think uh, yeah, our, our, my my cycle's seen like some of those names that you're naming, like I know Ep, Shawan, Dan, and like they've seen like a lot of success coming through. And it's, I feel like when you're, yeah, like when I was named to the youth team, like so honored to like rep the colors for the first time, and uh, yeah, you kind of feel like you've made it <laughs> to be honest. But at the end <laughs> of the day, it's like no, like you you still got to keep pushing. You got a long way to go. So you know. For sure, super, super special. But I think I also kind of had in my mind after my first year on junior that like, all right, like there's a long way to go before you've really kind of accomplished what you want to accomplish with the national team. So, And has your growth mindset ever been challenged in these situations? So maybe, you know, you're doing the pure read stuff at Trinity and you're being successful and you're, and you're winning. And then you go to the B team and they say, okay, we want you to commit block on this or we want you to front over here. Like, how are you able to be challenged and kind of gain these new skills that might be just outside of your norm? And, and like I said, your way's working. So to be challenged to do things a new way, how have you accepted that as an athlete? No, for sure. Like, I'm not, like, I'm not, I'm, I don't want to approach those situations and be uh, stubborn about it at all. Um, it was a bit of a, an adjustment, I will say, like going into the B team for the first summer. Jackson was actually part of that as well. And both him and I, it's like, we're trying to re-block, but we're also really young on that team. And uh, the, obviously the players are just at a much higher caliber. So, yeah, definitely got challenged to, like, you know, know when to commit a little bit more and, and have that skill in the back pocket. But, yeah, I think I'm going to – every time I'm on the national team, like, it's – or been with the national team, excuse me, 
it's usually a little bit different than maybe what like Ben would maybe want me to like learn, but you definitely have to take, you know, take as much as you can and really be a sponge and try to uh, pick apart little pieces that the coaches are giving you and add it to your game. I don't think, I don't think anyone would disagree that like you can learn a little bit of something from everyone as long as you're open to it. So. And how have you found adapting to the team Canada culture where is there kind of a sense of credibility that you're a Trinity guy and you've won, you know, youth sports national championships where you're coming in and because of Trinity's success over the years, you're going to know people and there's going to be alumni around where, how have you kind of worked your way through the culture has got to be a little bit different, but I imagine with the amount of players there, it's got to be kind of the same, right? So are you still considered a leader when you go to the national team? Do you like to be just kind of quiet and listen to all the vets around and all the A-team guys? Like, how have you managed your summers in Gatineau and kind of taken away from that experience? There might be a little bit of a stigma with Trinity uh, jumping around the national team. It's it's more, I think it's more like humorous than anything. Like, it's not like, you know, it's not like guys have an extra, like, respect or something like that because of that I'm a Trinity player. And in terms of, like, leadership and stuff, like, my time at the B team, I kind of felt like a rookie again. You know, I was back at the back at the bottom of the ladder, and um, yeah, like I didn't. Yeah, I wouldn't say like I displayed a ton of leadership that summer for sure. I'm not saying I was like bad or anything, but like there's just guys that are way more qualified to be to be speaking to like that side of the game and that side of the practice and kind of developing culture. So I was, uh, yeah, I kind of got to take a little bit of a like a back seat and just kind of. Um, learn as much as I can from those older gents and um, like all the all the players on the on the A team and some of the older players that are on the B team like the they're all like solid guys like they're all very super like super kind the volleyball community is very it's very small in a sense so and we all know that and they're all like willing to help you out and give advice and you know make sure you're training hard and, and try to trying to improve your game as well as their own like it's very it's very accommodating that way. It's very team oriented. So uh, super grateful for that. So I have yet to be really part of the national team where I, mean, I maybe have to take a little bit more of a leadership role. So I've uh, my team there right now, I've just or my time there right now, I've just kind of been able to sit and um, yeah, just kind of soak in everything that's uh, that's coming. And then hopefully, hopefully one day I can uh, I can take that role in the next couple of years here. And is there a vet you'd like to give a shout out to, whether it be some of the A-team guys like Graham, who's accomplished everything. I think he might be one of the best Volleyball Canada middles of all time, or or Dan uh, James Van Dorn, or even a guy like Danny Demonenko, who I have a ton of respect for, who I think you were on the B-team with, who's accomplished a lot and, and a good guy from the, the crush legacy that was here in Ontario for the club system. So is there any middles that... Uh, you've either respected because they, they just kicked your butt around practice or maybe they've shared information or, or anything that were like little details that maybe fans would be excited to hear that, you know, the middle group is pretty solid at Volleyball Canada. Well, to be honest, the first thing that comes to mind is like over the past couple of months, like kind of trying to like find a contract to figure out what's next. I was incredibly, incredibly lucky and, uh, and blessed to have a lot of like sweet mentors uh, kicking around on the A team and uh, even some guys who have like, moved on from the A team. Um, I think like when I was trying to like choose an agent and kind of like decipher what, you know, what to look for in like a club or look for uh, in a team, I, I reached out to Lucas, I reached out to Dan, I reached out to Rudy, Graham, TJ, Brett, um, Blair Ben, like a lot of, a lot of the A team guys. And they all, they all were very, very happy to like share insight and uh, kind of get, get back to me with like what to look for, what to avoid and just any advice they could offer to make that decision easier and yeah, and just helped me out in that way. So yeah, like I, I remember reflecting on it after and just being like, wow, like I, 
I was able to message like Lucas, Dan, Rudy, and Graham, like four out of the five last uh, national team middles, I guess, in the past cycle. And um, yeah, they were all like super helpful and um, yeah, really willing just to give me give me their opinions and, and help me out with that regard. So middle middle group is definitely solid on the A team, and yeah, like I said, a lot of solid solid guys kicking around there right now. Nice. And with your offer to go to Germany, what kind of excited you about that league? Because I think fans of the show will recognize that a lot of Canadians have been there. I, I think it's a great country to live in. I don't think the foreigner rule is very harsh if, if it exists at all with the club. So you might be on a team with another Canadian or at least another North American guy. So what kind of went into your decision? Like, were you managing a few offers or when you got this one, was it definitely the spot for you to kind of start your pro career? Yeah, for sure. So I mean, originally what actually was going to happen or what the plan was, was uh, I was going to go to Lundberg just like a lot of the Trinity alumni have done, like Slater, Del Bianco, Schreimer, uh, Tyler Kozlowski is still kicking around there. And I was like, that was kind of always the talk and always the plan. And I could do that without an agent. And it was going to be like kind of an easy stepping stone over into that lifestyle, into that career Yeah, in Germany. Unfortunately, like with COVID that fell through. So uh yeah, there was, it was a bit of a gong show trying to like organize, like grabbing an agent and then being able to market myself and then, you know, like dealing with offers and try, starting to make decisions. In terms of, in terms of kind of like went into what went into that, I had a couple offers in France Pro B and it really came down for me though to uh, like either going to Durin, which a lot of Canadians have gone to, or to uh, this club Gieson. And uh, I mean, a lot of solid, like you've also mentioned, like a lot of Canadians have been in Germany and a lot of Canadians have uh, been through Duren. And I know it's like a super well-respected club and it's, uh, yeah, it's very well-respected in that league and, and produces um, a very high level of play each year. Uh, but I, I chose just to go to Giessen because uh, I just kind of value playing and having a little bit more of a key role in my first year. So that's kind of everything that went into that. Um, John Moat, one of the... One of the middles, who's um, who, who's now graduated, I think from Windsor, I believe, he was at Geese in this past year, and he was also like super helpful in, in explaining that uh, that club to me and that uh, you know the league and, and how things run, and it just kind of really turned me on to Germany and turned me on to uh, Geese. So, yeah, how did you find navigating through this? So you mentioned COVID makes things challenging. So are you speaking to coaches through Skype? Obviously, you're sending a, a ton of highlight video, like. How much are you directly speaking to them so you know it's the right fit? Or does it really go through the agent? And that's why there's so much emphasis and importance that you need to hire a good agent who definitely has your best interest. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like I think um, I think each player is going to have different, different kind of values on the agent and the club that they're going to choose. And for me, it was a lot of communication through my agents. And he did a really good job of... Uh, kind of being the middleman between myself and the clubs and, and setting up those those deals. So he, he had a big role in, in a lot of my contracts and what, what was going or contract offers, excuse me, and kind of what was going on over there. So yeah, so that was really that was really nice, especially especially in my first year here, like not really knowing how that process worked and then being kind of so late to the scene because like I said, I was planning to go to a club without an agent. It was just gonna be kind of an easy stepping stone over to Lundberg, but obviously that fell through and I was kind of late to the game. So yeah, I really value that. And that's kind of what came into the to decision when I was choosing my agent. So if we had to give credit, who's the Trinity guy who built the bridge to Lundberg, who kind of, like you said, created this pipeline, but I'm sure it has to come back to like one person. So who's the guy in the alumni group who's taking credit for building that community? Cause it seems like a, a popular landing spot, like you said, where you wouldn't even need an agent to kind of represent that club. 
Yeah, no, that's a that's a good question. I think the first the first Trinity player to go to Ludenberg, I believe, was uh, Stephen Marshall. So uh, I think he went there in like his second year of pro. So he was pretty young. And then Nick Del Bianco followed, and then Tyler, and then Slater, and then Adam. So yeah, I think I think it comes down to Steve. Uh, but I also think like the coach at Ludenberg, like Stefan, was has always been in contact with Ben and. They bounce ideas off each other and, you know, like they're, they're pretty tight as well. Like they're friends. So I think that definitely uh, helps maintain that bridge between our program and their club. Nice. And hopefully Benjo doesn't mind me asking this, but one thing I was excited to learn when we had uh, TJ Sanders on for the second time, he mentioned when he was recovering from an injury, he actually started attending some Trinity practices, which kind of blew my mind when I, I go down the list of who Benjo surrounded himself with and, and all this great coaching staff, whether it's Jansen and I know Schreimer's there and Jordan Orr and Ball's done a great job there and the list goes on and on. So with your own experience coming through the Trinity system, like how does Ben control the message, but also give leadership to all these other coaches who know so much, like there, there's so much volleyball knowledge in that, in that club where obviously everyone knows he's in charge, but how does he manage, you know, giving leadership roles and power to other coaches? That's a very dynamic question. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, like I think like Ben definitely has his own ideas and like how, how he thinks like things should run. But I also think Ben, just kind of like I said earlier on, in this episode like he's very open uh to hearing what other credible coaches and players have to say about certain things and he loves to he loves to always like kind of grow and build on his own knowledge of the game so any chance he has to bring in you know guest coaches or to uh hear out maybe something that our assistant coaches have been looking into like i think he definitely does that he's very good at like you know being very i think confident in his own abilities to like coach and make sure that like we're doing the skills like properly and executing them well but also being able to like take and add to his own uh, coaching game and and yeah just kind of expand on his knowledge and expand the ability of our team to to just be successful so nice and is there a coach who's kind of in charge of the middles like when you guys go into a timeout is there one coach who's kind of like the defensive coordinator who really takes a lead and says you know this is what's happening because uh, again to give a shout out to dan who was on the show he talked about like playing middle is really complicated where the tendency might say this guy hits to five and then all of a sudden the game starts and he starts lighting you up to one because your blocking's changed where they can kind of alter their shots and do little things. How have you found that cat and mouse game where somebody's managing the scattering port and saying, Pierce, you're not doing what you're supposed to, but you're the guy at the net saying, well, I'm doing it and he's doing something else. I think that's one advantage that Trinity definitely has as well as we have a lot of eyes on the bench and a lot of very uh, knowledgeable eyes, like people that really know what they're doing. So I'd say most of the time I would uh, I would go to like Ben for um, you know any adjustments or or anything like that. Like he would usually kind of take care of like anything he wanted to tell me. Uh, our assistant coach Joel Jansen would also keep a pretty good eye on my blocking and kind of like what my reads were being. So that was also super helpful. But honestly, at any point I could have uh, I could have a message from Adam. I could have a message from Jordan. I could have a message from Ben Ball. Like all of them are really working together and doing a really good job to make sure that they you know, that they're not going to miss anything that's going on on the court that might be helpful to us. So, And just one more question now that I think about uh, with you coming through the Trinity system, listeners will know as we go back through the shows, like when you listen to Schreimer, he talked a lot about accountability. Eric Lepke really resonated with Ben's speech about getting your miles in and sticking to a goal and things like that. Like, 
with so many guys coming from the Trinity program, but having like a different understanding of the culture, what they grasp to, like even you kind of grasp to like the Bon Jovi speech, how often is Ben Joe coming up with these talks? Are they happening one-on-one? -on -one? Like it, it doesn't sound like you guys have a slogan that you put on the wall that, like I said, I just listed three or four guys and they all have a different interpretation of like what the culture really meant at Trinity. How, how is Ben managing this or how do so many players have just like a different tweak about what they identify with the culture that's going on there? Yeah, we call them, so we call them mantras, like team mantras. And I feel like every single year we have, uh, we have, like, like you said, there's no like one definite saying or mantra that kind of like defines our entire, our entire program. Like every year there's kind of like new things that get brought to the table. And I think, again, I've said this a lot, but it kind of goes back to just like Ben's, Ben's mindset of like always trying to add new things and, and explore, explore different ideas and just kind of like grow the team in the best way possible so yeah i think different guys are going to grasp onto like different things but i know every year ben's going to have a handful of uh new ideas or new philosophies or new uh things to kind of think through and work through like both in the way that we approach the game with our mentality and then also on the court so yeah there's no there's no lack of uh lack of learning going on at trinity Awesome. Pierce, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. We'll have to get you back on maybe when you've got some pro experience and we can add to this this long list of what we've talked about. But one thing we're yeah. trying to make a, a tradition on the show is just a, a funny story where if anybody didn't know you before this episode, they're, they're looking back and saying, wow, this is one of the best middles to come through Trinity, which is high, high standard, right? So, But I imagine something odd or funny has happened to you along the way where you can share us a funny story where as volleyball players, we, we can't escape just being caught in these these fun situations. So can you tell us something maybe to leave us with a laugh? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, there, there's one story that's uh, that's pretty funny. It really um, kind of set the tone for the dynamic between Adam Schreimer and I. And Adam and I are like very tight and good friends. But I remember in my in my first year, I think we were still in training camp very, very early on. And I'm still just kind of adjusting to like the Trinity way of life and the new level of play and everything that's happening as someone transitions from high school to university. And we're in like a blue-white match, like just an inter-squad game. And uh, we're mid-play. And uh, I, was, I was transitioning off the net from a block and then obviously supposed to get back in to be able to, you know, be available to get set. And I just felt like I wasn't quite going to be on time. Like I wasn't... Like I, I don't know, like my footwork was off or I just wasn't quick enough or something like that. And I started like saying to Adam, like, like, no, no, like don't set me because I don't think, I didn't think I was going to be there. And <laughs> I guess Adam already had in his mind that he really wanted to set me uh, in that particular situation. And as he, as he's firing it out to the left side, he's, he just yells at me like, what do you mean? No, <laughs> let it go. And, um, yeah, I think uh, I was already a little bit scared of Adam uh, because he's just so competitive in nature and fiery. I think uh, anyone who's watched him can agree to that, attest to it. And then after that, like I was just starting to warm up to him, and then that situation happened. And uh, yeah, it took another month or so for me to finally settle in and be like, okay, this guy isn't too scary. So yeah, that was pretty funny to lead off my first week at Trinity. <laughs> that's awesome because i think that doesn't get talked about enough where you're leaving high school and you walk into this environment and here's a guy who's going to go on to be player of the year and you've completely let him down he lit you up a little bit and now it's just going to be a little bit uncomfortable for the rest of the practice week right yeah no absolutely and then i remember like even like a little bit later in the we were at like a rep session a couple of weeks later you know maybe starting to warm up to him again and uh he 
I don't even know. Like he was just kind of goofing around trying to hit a right side ball and he just kind of like paintbrushed it. And I said something to him. I don't even know what, just kind of like a little joke. And I think within five seconds I was in a headlock and being dragged around the court a little bit as he was giving me a noogie and just giving me a hard time. So <laughs> yeah, no, we've, uh, we've come a long way, but it was pretty funny. Um, yeah, to get to know him and start with that dynamic. It's always something we look back on and kind of laugh. So, Awesome, man. I can't thank you enough for taking the time. Learned so much, and you shared so many details. Obviously, a, a very easy guy to root for, so hopefully the, the pro season starts on time and we can see you kind of build on the success you've already had. But for now, thanks for, for taking the time to come on the show and share all that you did. Yeah, thanks, Josh. That was, uh, that was awesome. Thanks for having me out.